Welcome to Next Economy Now. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight the leaders who are taking a regenerative, bioregional, equitable, democratic, racially just, and whole systems approach to creating the new economy. Modu, thank you so much for joining us on Next Economy Now. Welcome. We'd love for you to start and just share with our listeners your background, who you are, and, and what you do. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be with you. My name is Modu Sow from the Gambia. I'm the National Youth Coordinator of the National Coordinating Organization for Farmer Associations in the Gambia. And I'm also the Secretary General of the National Livestock Owners Association of the Gambia. You will see I've been, I'm working with a lot of farmers in the country, throughout the country. Uh, that is because of my background. I was born to a farming community. Uh, my, both my parents were both livestock farmers and crop farmers. And from there, after, I was lucky to be one of the people who are lucky in Africa to be educated and go to school when you are from a farming community. Upon completion of my education in 2004, I came back home just to find that livestock death was affecting almost all the farmers of, of my area. And most of them were discouraged and they decided, some of them were deciding to sell their livestock away. So I have to talk to my fellow youths. That's how we started the work. When I talked to the youths, we organized ourselves. We started fighting against uh, livestock death to make sure that it is eradicated out of the community, out of the society. So that's how we started the work. And we form a small community-based organization that develops to be the National Livestock Owners Association today in the Gambia. From a small community base to a national organization, we are covering nationwide. And in 2015, I was also selected or appointed to be the National Youth Coordinator of the National Coordinating Organization of all farmer associations responsible for youth development in agriculture. And in that activity, I was nominated to participate in the U.S. with the McCain Institute for International Leadership Program that brought me to U.S. to train me in leadership, moreover specialized in crop production, that is in agriculture. But to my surprise, it became a discovery for me to discover no-till organic farming in the U.S., which is yet to be introduced in the Gambia. And I believe it's the perfect concept of farming that we can introduce in the Gambia for development. Right. So that's me. Wonderful. So you are a farmer, you're an educator, you're a network weaver, community builder. Right. um, for, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the Gambia, could you just share a little bit about some context? Um, what are some of the critical issues that um, you know, all your work is, is supporting and, and helping? The Gambia is the smallest country on mainland Africa, and it, it's, it's also regarded as one of the poorest countries in, in Africa. So it has a population of 1.8 million. It has no natural minerals. The only natural resources that we have is we, the people, and the soil that we have for agriculture. When you look at our agriculture, it employs almost over 70% of the population. However, you will learn that the statistic does not qualify it to be called an agricultural country, a country that depends on agriculture. Because if we said agriculture employs over 70% of the population, but over 80% of the food that is being consumed in that country is from outside, is being imported. So that tells you that their agriculture is having a problem, it's lacking. So now this is one of the things that I ke- when I came to U.S., I've seen that something will be a solution that can improve our agriculture. But that is a country that is very poor, has the soil that is very rich, has water in abundance, because the country itself is divided into two by the River Gambia. 
but yet still our agriculture is just for a period of six months. We don't have proper irrigation to farm. We don't have all those things. So we are still lacking in agriculture and we are still among the poorest countries of the world. So could you share how you discovered Elizabeth and Paul and Singing Frogs Farm and, and how you came to uh, learn and work and share with them? Uh, Elizabeth and Paul, I will say they are so inspirational. They are so great. And they have contributed a lot to me discovering naughty organic farming. Okay, when I came to the to US, I, w- I was sent to the Community Alliance with Family Farmers for my internship, that is CAF. So when I was in there, so they decided for me to visit different farms. And when I came to, and they also told me about Elizabeth and uh, Paul, that they were peace corps in the Gambia, and that's where they started even participating in agriculture. So I was told to go and visit them. Once I visited them, I saw the farming system that they have. That's the time I realized that this is the perfect solution for the Gambia. Because our farmers are poor, they cannot afford those heavy equipments to mechanize our agricultural system. But with no-till, with Elizabeth and Paul, I was able to know and realize that this is the type of farming that we can afford in the Gambia, and it is very profitable. So they were also people who were guiding me throughout the process, teaching me, showing me what to do, and giving me advice on that type of farming, which is a perfect farming system for my country. Could you talk a little bit about um, climate? I know it's on everyone's minds, and certainly um, we. what I've been learning are the, that frontline communities are going to be the ones most affected by the um, poor communities are going to be most affected by the effects of climate change. And so could you talk about how you've been thinking around the relationship of no-till farming and agriculture and climate change? Okay, climate change will affect the Gambia, I can say, because the Gambia is very close to the Sahara Desert. And one part of the Gambia is almost turned into a desert because of climate change is affecting us a little bit. Uh, we are having more sorter rains than before. Previously, Gambia used to have almost five to six months rain. But now you see certain parts of the Gambia is almost having three months rain or less four months rain. So that, may, that tells you Elizabeth and Paul, where they were in the Nyomis, now farmers have start, even started introducing new concept of farming whereby they will grow grains before it rains. So that it, before end of the rains, at least their grains has grown and they can harvest in the rains. So climate change will affect these farmers. But with no-till farming, where they will have the resistance system built, they will have their well and they will be farming not only within those five or six months, but they will be farming all year round. So this is one thing that we want to introduce, that whereby instead of allowing the farmers to farm for only this rainy season, what we call the rainy season during the rains, which is three to four months, now they'll be farming with this concept of farming, they'll be farming all year round. And it is a way of having resistance for climate change. But if not, it will be worse in the Gambia because we are already not feeding ourselves but with the little we are having, if we don't have enough rains, we are, we are going to face the worst in the world. So that is one thing. Thank you for that. So um, a, a lot of people I know have, have um, written about this, David Montgomery, Growing a Revolution. There's, you know, there's lots of resources. But for our listeners who haven't maybe come across no-till farming, could you just explain what that means and why you're so inspired about it? I'm so inspired by no-till farming because it is like uh, mimicking the na- modern nature. In no-till farming, you are trying to avoid total, totally, you are trying to avoid disturbing the soil, leaving it in its natural form and making so that it's developed to enrich itself and you add organic compost and you add, keep on adding things 
so that you don't disturb the soil and you will allow microorganisms to grow and that will support aeration of the crops and the crops will grow fast and they will have the more organic compost and also you control the carbon system and you allow more nitrogen and this is what will help you to make sure that uh, your farming system develops the, because this is what crops need to grow you make your compost added to the soil you don't allow other weeds to grow and you, those weeds can be useful because how will they be useful you even use them some of them as compost again to bring them back to the soil so it's a system of farming whereby you don't need those heavy equipments to till the soil because that is what is disturbing us in africa when you look at average gambians when you ask us what what are, what is your farming system we cannot tell you we don't know whether we are doing organic or inorganic we are like whatever we have goes in the farm so we cannot tell you but now with a concept of farming that will give us direction it is trying to develop our soil and it is good for the climate. It is very climate smart because uh, with no-till farming, you are not adding chemicals to the soil. You are not exposing the soil and you are enriching the soil. So this, this tells you that it is a good concept of farming that is trying to preserve our environment, our climate makes it better. And even water, in terms of water, it is very effective in water because at times you water for one week, you will not you water for one day, you will not water for one week. This is good. Because it is trying to, at least, water, water content of the soil is maintained. It keeps the water moist, and the plants will survive on that. So it is very good, and it is climate smart. It is good for the soil. It is good for microorganisms. It is good for the air. It is good for insects around. It's a perfect way of farming. So it's good for us. What inspired me most, because one thing that we need to do in farming is our environment is what we need to consider. We feed the people, but we feed them proper products, and we also take care of the environment that we should live on. Right, because so many of us are accustomed to the historical practice of tilling the soil, um, which we know we've lost a substantial amount, 133 billion tons of uh, carbon um, from our soils by doing that. And um, to reverse that seems, seems daunting. I'm, I'm curious if you could share some stories of how farmers that you've been in contact with in the Gambia are excited about the prospect of no-till farmings or even are there some barriers that you're noticing for uptake of this, these practices? Yes, almost all the farmers that I will, I'm talking to about it, people want to see the concept being implemented. That is one thing. Because uh, talking to them about, when you tell them about the concept, they appreciate the concept. But now, how will you bring the concept to them? They want to see it being practiced. So this will tell them that they will have direct hands on learning. They, they will learn the concept because they want to see it being practicalized. That is what they are waiting for. But they are excited to see this concept coming to the Gambia they are very much willing to accept the concept if at all. But, but they need to see it being practicalized and compare, make their comparisons at the beginning, which is also a challenge for me because uh, it's a new concept. It's not in their culture. They didn't know it before. So introducing something new is always having its own disadvantages to people because it will take time before they adopt it and it will take time before they understand it. So that is also a challenge. But that is what I'm expecting. And I expect that, I know that, not even expecting, I know that once they have seen the concept, they will adopt the concept and they will, it will be conceptualized throughout the country. So could you share with our listeners, bring them into this vision of the farm that you're about to create to help do that education? Okay, what, what the plan here now is I want to establish the first ever no-till organic farm in the Gambia. That will act as a farm academy. It will be like a demonstration and training center for the youth farmers because mostly youth, youths are my target, although we can have the elderly people inside the farm because they can also be a source of attracting more youths because youths also want to see something going around. So you having youth farmers, train them on no-till organic farming 
And when we establish that farm academy, it will be training youths and the farm will be sustainable in a sense that the produce will be used as reinvestments. They will be selling it. And we have a long value chain. When we have the produce, when we, we, we are not selling the produce directly. We are giving it to youth farmers again, who will also be selling that to half their income and the proceeds will come back to the farm and will be reinvested to train more youths on the farm. So if the farm is going to be profit, but also the, the proceeds from the farm will be used to train more farmers and maintain the farm and its operations. So we want to establish the first ever no-till organic farm academy that will train, support, and motivate youth farmers to participate in the agricultural value chain for economic development, food security, and employment opportunities throughout the country. Wonderful. So grateful that you're doing this work and we definitely wish you all all the best. Um, one question that comes up is there, are there practices that come from the cultures in, in the Gambia of agriculture that you're bringing in as well into, into what you've learned? So kind of talking about the cross-cultural collaboration, because I know I've heard Elizabeth and Paul talk a lot about what they learned when, as well when they were in the Peace Corps. So how, did, how are you melding the, 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 all the dif- different cultures that um, you're growing? Thank you. Multi organic farming is very similar to the type of farming that we have. But in the other sense, our type of farming is a little bit more labor intensive, but almost all the practices that we have, apart from the tillage, because we use the hoe, and we use the hoe to almost hoe everywhere. In our weeding, we use the hoe to weed everywhere. But apart from that, all the other things are very similar to no-till farming. So that is having a similarity in that culture. So the cultural challenge will not be that much a problem because this is already, they are being part of it. It's the issue is they don't know what are they doing. They don't call they cannot call it no till they because they are doing everything by hand. But now with the no till to me, no till it's labor intensive. But when you take it to the Gambia, it's less labor intensive. Because that using of the hoe to weed all over every day is no more happening. Because that means part of the labor is gone. So you see what will happen. So labor will be reduced. And this when labor because uh, mostly what is discouraging youth from participating in agriculture is three things. One Agriculture in the Gambia is not profitable because everything is uh, physically done. That makes it less, produ- less pro- profitable. It is not productive because part of the soil is not good. Some part of the country, the soil is good, which, but which is now being overpopulated by people. When, when you look at the other side I mentioned earlier on, it's almost about to be a desert. That is not good. And also, it's the profitability. What you put on the label, the labor cost. The things that you do, the physical thing that you put on the farm, you have to buy manual because the soil is not that much rich. So all those things, you have to buy fertilizers and put it on. It's making it very less profitable. So these are the things that are discouraging. It's not profitable, it's not productive, and it's labor intensive. So now with no-till farming, all these things are eliminated. So that's why we, I always call it a perfect way of farming in the Gambia. Mm-hmm. So we don't have that much cultural barriers because they are doing very similar type of farming to no-till farming. And you've spoken before about the similarities in crops. And one thing I love about Singing Frogs Farm is they're, the way that even the edges of the bed and they're doing intercropping. So you have a cabbage and you have lettuces right beside. So anything that is a weed gets harvested and sold to, to increase what, you, what you're mentioning around that profitability. Yeah, and and, and, and uh, one, one thing that amazed me most, because observing the weather, uh, I always say one thing that we can have a difference between the U.S. and the Gambia will be... Uh, what we call cultural foods. But I believe whatever type of crop can grow in, the, in, in California here can grow, can grow in the Gambia because we have a very similar weather. 
yeah but it, what what always what i always say is cultural food because uh you don't ask i i like i always say, i started eating cauliflower here i started eating broccoli here so those are not foods that we know in my country so that will bring the differences those are not cultural foods but they are foods that can grow in the gambia because we have almost the same weather the advantage the gambia has is that we don't have frost Mm. So that's the one advantage that we have. So if not, I believe all crops that grow here can grow in the Gambia. So moving away from um, sort of the technical parameters of what no-till is, could you share with us a little bit more about some of the social changes that you'd like to see for an economy that works for the benefit of all? Yes, uh, that is one key thing that I always uh, work or I'm always trying to see how best can I do that. In the Gambia, what happens mostly, our youths are not employed. We are challenged by high unemployment rate, high crime rates. When you look at the Gambia, it's a small country, but it has more illegal migration youth because they don't have opportunities. They are moving from the Gambia to other parts of Europe in charge of greener pasture. And mostly the jobs that they are doing there in, in Europe is farming. So they can do it in the Gambia. So those are things that we need to think. Those are challenges that if we have uh, solutions that, that can keep them farm in the Gambia, have their income in the Gambia, have their families with them, develop with those economy that they develop on their own. It will even increase the socioeconomic impact of the country because we will have more funds, more resources, and that will improve our, increase our foreign exchange. Thereby, when we have enough, we can also supply to other parts of the country. Other parts of the world can also be supplied by the Gambia. And this is what will increase our economy. This is what will improve our economy. So we are, I'm seeking to see that we have more youths employed, more youths being useful in working towards the economy, and that will improve the economy of the Gambia, not only the people, but also the country in, in terms of foreign exchange, when we are able to sell more, more crops outside the Gambia. Because knowing the Gambia, I know we can do it, because previously we used to be a small country, but we, are, we were one of the biggest producers of peanut in, in West Africa. We were one of the biggest producers of cotton in West Africa. But due to these things that I mentioned, labor intensive, not profitable, uh, not productive, we lose that status. We are no more among those things. And aflatoxin also contributes to peanut, most, mostly our peanut issues. But we were one of the best in terms of peanut and cotton production. So we can bring ourselves back, not peanut and cotton, but on vegetable production. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about um, how you're thinking of, about the importance of um, agency and decision-making as well when you're talking about youth having jobs. Um, what, what, what is your vision around ownership of farms and, and ownership of, of um, the solutions? Okay, that's the vision about decision-making. Let's start with decision-making. Most of uh, the decisions-making, mostly youths are not involved. When you look at the Gambia roundabout, we will, every government that come will tell you that we want to empower youth, we want to empower youth. But when you go to the offices, the highest offices where decision-making is being done, mostly you find the old people. That, we ask, that will always tell you we want to support the youth, but they are manning the officials, offices of decision-making. And for, at the farmer level, uh, most farmers, the old people who are farming, and their sons and daughters are not interested in farming. Most of them are selling their lands because they prefer having that money once and for all rather than being not farming the land, so they prefer selling their lands. But in the provinces, in the provincial part of the Gambia, where still lands are available, uh, they are being inherited by the young people. They are, the youth have access to their lands because it's family property. So when this concept is introduced, I am seeing youth claiming their family properties, claiming their family lands 
to farm on it because they have seen a better source of income than being around without doing nothing. So decision making at the governmental level, the youths are not involved that much. But when it comes to family level, especially in the provincial part of the Gambia, we have an advantage in it because lands belong to families. And you, these young ones, if they want to make use of that land, they can have access to the lands. So, yeah. Wonderful. Could you share a little bit about um, who is inspiring to you and potentially some other examples that you share with the youth that gets them inspired and engaged in this mission? Yeah, mostly what I will always tell people, I'm inspired by one person. In the U.S., I was inspired by Elizabeth and uh, Paul. They, they inspired me a lot. Yeah, but before coming, I was inspired by one person who was also very, he's a very successful young farmer. Because uh, when people don't believe that he can do it, he started doing it and he started having his own livestock from six livestock. Now he's having over 200 livestock and he's a young man. And every livestock there belongs to him. In addition to that, he has his own farms. Now you, you can see the connection now. He's using the livestock manure, that's the, 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 the cow dung, making that, giving it, turning it to compost, using it on the plants. And the waste from the plants, he is taking it back to the animals to feed on that one also. So he has that cycle. And he, when he sells, the remains will be going to the animals. The animal waste will be coming to the plants as compost. So he has that cycle. He inspired me in his farming system. But he also don't know anything about no-till farming. So he's doing everything physical. So this one is a perfect concept for him that he, he inspired me a lot in his work. And what is his name? He is, uh, we, call, we call him always Suleiman Bush. Mm. He's a great farmer. Wonderful. Right. Well, I'm curious if there are ways, um, we always like to ask our guests on this podcast, how can we support you? How can our listeners support your work? Um, yeah, what, what do you need right now to help you grow your initiative? In yeah, we right now I have an, a GoFundMe account that we established that I will need support from individuals to work to see how best can I establish this farm academy because one of my biggest challenges will be on finances because it's like coming up with a new concept that nobody knows about. Who, nobody will listen to you easily. And you cannot also tell farmers, do this, do this, do this. They will not understand what you are talking about. They have to see it being practicalized. So the concept is now I want to establish a farm whereby the farmers will see what I'm doing and they will learn from that and they, that they will use. So I've established a GoFundMe account that I, I will be searching for kindness to see how best can I be supported in that to establish this farm and make sure it started operations in the Gambia. And that is a way of supporting these country's youths to be something useful for the country. So I'm seeking for that support from every individual. Or if others will seek, not even also for the GoFundMe, others want to send you something in private, still open for it. And foundations and philanthropists also seeking for their support to see that this farm is established. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm curious if there are any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners um, from all that you've learned from living and farming in the U.S. Um, any, any, any final words or, or things that you've learned? I'm very grateful to farmers around the U.S. Uh, because I learn a lot from the farmers and I'm like singing frog farms. I learn a lot from them. I learn, I think people were very resourceful to me. Each farm from here, almost I visited almost uh, all the areas of California going from one farm to the other, learning from one farmer to the other. And I'm also thankful to uh, the UC Davis uh, Horticultural Lab, because they also give me innovative ideas that can help and support the women of my country in terms of uh, preservation to prevent post-harvest loss. 
So they, they are very resourceful to me during my training. Community Alliance with Family Farmers, that's where I did my internship. It's because of them, I was able to have access to all these farmers. So I'm thankful to them. And I'm also thankful to you because with what happened, just within the blink of an eye, you also want to have me on your platform and I'm, I, I appreciate being on your platform. I'm so happy to be with you people. Well, we're so grateful for the cultural shifts that you're catalyzing and the support and the inspiration um, and the infrastructure that you're building um, to provide food for and jobs and um, biodiversity and ecosystem services in a completely different way. Um, we think that what you're doing is critical, foundational for an economy that works for the benefit of all life. And um, we, we, we couldn't be more, more honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so grateful to, have, to be on the podcast. <laughs> well, good luck. Um, warmest wishes for uh, your work, for your farm, for your fundraising. And um, we'll be sure to keep tabs on how it goes. And when, when do you travel back to the Gambia? I'll be going back to the Gambia in the next two weeks. Wonderful. So work starts in the next two weeks. <laughs> Safe travels and um, and and thank you so much. Keep in touch. Next Economy Now is a production of Lift Economy. To listen to all of our episodes, go to lifteconomy.com slash podcast. That's L-I-F-T economy.com slash podcast. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter at lifteconomy.com slash newsletter. Please also rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.